Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be continuing our sermon series this morning, One Way Jesus, and we're looking at the statements that Jesus made about himself, about who he is, and about what that means for our lives. And in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, we're just going to start right out of the gate. We're going to read this declaration as Jesus responds to a woman in a conversation that he's having. And it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. There was a point in this conversation that had turned to the need of Jesus and his person. And he makes this declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And for each one of us here, that question is appropriate. Do do you believe this? As Jesus would speak to you today and he would say and declare, He is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? The the truth is, is that you and I, we we all experience uh, needs in our lives where resurrection is necessary, where there is a genuine need for newness of life. And that's a spiritual reality. Many of us would would be all right in acknowledging that, that we need a savior for our sins, that we need to move from death to life in that sense that this spiritual need is one where we need to resur- uh, um, we need to experience a resurrection where we need to experience a newness of life and Jesus it's something that we get to celebrate today in baptism we get to celebrate that work and that move of God in somebody's life but it is equally appropriate for us to consider the places in our lives that are in need of a touch of Jesus in a very similar way You know, we experience the result of sin and brokenness and death, not just in that separation from the Lord because of that, but in our everyday life, in our relationships, in our interactions, in our physical bodies. Those are all part of our reality. And I want to encourage you to do something for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just as a way of quieting your hearts and quieting your minds. And I would ask you this question, and in doing so, Uh, invite you to not just think about it in your own cognition, but to invite the Holy Spirit into that process. But here's the question, where, where in your life today are you in need of resurrection? Where in your life today, in your present experience, are you in need of true life to be expressed? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, in this moment, with our eyes closed before you and with our hearts open to your spirit, we would invite you, as the psalmist does, to search our hearts, to know our thoughts. Lord, to draw to our attention our very real need. And, Lord, in an exercise like this, it can be challenging. We can be reluctant to express our need or to acknowledge it. Sometimes when it's brought to our mind's attention, 
there's a deep sorrow that can come with that. There can be feelings that are hard for us to process, and so it would be easier for us to pretend as if these things aren't true. But Lord, in vulnerability before you, make us aware of our need. And Jesus, as only you can do, be the resurrection and the life in that area today. Give us soft hearts to receive from your word and give us courageous spirits to respond to the leading of your Holy Spirit as we would put it into practice this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With that thought in mind and with just kind of the, the, the need for our attention to focus on Jesus' statement here, we're going to turn to uh, John chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and move there. And we're going to be looking through a narrative that extends through really the whole of the chapter. We're not going to read every verse together. We're not going to be able to unpack the whole of it in depth and in deep detail. Uh, but we are going to turn our attention to the whole of the passage. And if you've got a, kind of a Bible heading in your scripture that would kind of designate maybe a theme or an idea for the narrative, mine simply says the death of Lazarus. And maybe you're familiar with the story. You know that there uh, is a resurrection in this, that there's a very mighty move uh, of God, that there is a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is present and active in the whole and in the center of it. And it was in this narrative that he made that statement, that I am the resurrection and the life. It was against the backdrop of death that he made this statement. And as we read our way through the narrative, we're going to look at three conversations that give us some insight into what it means for you and I to experience resurrection and life. And not just in a sense of a salvific moment where we receive that and where there is a transformation in our spirit and in our soul, but what it looks like for us to walk that out as a reality to our day-to-day -day life. And the narrative opens up in verse 1 to let us know that there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. And as it continues, it gives us a little bit of background information on him. But you bump into that this man named Lazarus had a couple sisters, Mary and Martha, and we're reminded that Jesus knows this family. We're reminded that these aren't just kind of random followers of Jesus. They're not part of the greater crowd. In fact, we're drawn to the attention that this is almost like a familial type of relationship. Jesus knew them intimately. In fact, he spent time in their home. He used that home as a kind of a staging base for his ministry at times. They were best friends. They were clear and close friends. And Lazarus was sick. Verse 3 lets us know that the sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus. So messengers come with their blue Karen care card from the seat pocket in front of you, and they give it to Jesus, and they say, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is sick. And I know that the hope would be that Jesus would respond immediately. That would be the hope and the expectations of the messengers for Mary and Martha. That would be their hope and expectation when they sent the messengers. And so they arrive and they give Jesus the message. And he would have received this with his disciples. He would have received this in a ministry type of setting. And Jesus out loud acknowledges what is taking place. 
And as everybody has heard of the sickness, he makes this declaration. He says, this sickness will not end in death. And that sounds like a great statement to hear from Jesus, right? If you were dealing with a diagnosis today and the Lord spoke to your heart and said, this will not end in death, that would be something that would encourage you. Your family would find courage in that. I'm sure that the disciples and those in attendance were hopeful in that. And Jesus said that this is not going to be something that ends in death. It's going to be something that demonstrates the glory of God. And then John goes out of his way again to underscore this truth that Jesus, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then verse six, everything goes wonky. It says, yet Jesus remained where he was for two more days. Now, I don't, I don't know what the disciples thought about that. You know, they must have taken Jesus's statement to be like, this isn't really a big deal, right? The news comes, the need is there, it's presented before him. And in the group, he says, hey, this isn't gonna end in death. Don't really worry about it. And then it looks like Jesus isn't actually worried about it, right? He just hangs out for the next couple of days. And there's nothing in the narrative to indicate that he had any pressing ministry matters, that he was doing something of great kingdom and port. It's just, he just hung out for two days. He delayed his journey back for two days. And then he speaks to his disciples and he says, all right, you guys, let's go. Let's head back to Bethany. And they're not excited to go. In fact, at their initial relief of Jesus saying, hey, this isn't going to be something that we really put our attention to, they were relieved because when he says, all right, hey, let's go back. Let's go visit. They all protest. And if you read the narrative for yourself, it's a pretty strong one because the last time they were there with Jesus, they were try, uh, people tried to kill him. They were like, hey, that's the wrong side of the tracks for us in your stage of ministry right now. The last time we were there, they tried to kill us. So we're glad that this isn't a pressing intention. And and maybe we don't need to go. And Jesus is like, well, let's head back. And so they protest and they say, hey, you know, maybe that's not a great idea. And Jesus begins to talk and uses a light and dark metaphor and talks about sleeping and arrives on this statement where he says that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they take it as literally like he's taking a nap and they're like, all right, he's asleep, he's on the mend, right? Sometimes when we're not feeling good, what do we need? A snack and a nap, and that goes a long ways towards helping us reboot. And that's how they're, they're like, all right, he's resting comfortably, so he's probably on the mend. And so then Jesus drops this bomb on them and gets right to the point. In the Greek, it's very pointed, but he says, Lazarus is dead. Okay, so every, everything changed in the conversation here. What do you mean? Like, he's dead, dead. And it's a very abrupt type of a statement. It's not sugar-coated. It's not trying to let him down easy. There's no real even empathy in the way that this statement was structured. In a sense, if you were giving bad news to somebody and you would try to couch it in something that would be received a little bit more palatable, that's not what Jesus does here. He gets right to the point. He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Man, I'm left scratching my head at this, right? Wait a minute. When the news came, you said this wasn't going to end in death. Then you didn't go anywhere or do anything about it. Now you want to go, and we don't really want to go with you. 
You're telling us that he is dead and that you're glad that you weren't there. I got questions, Jesus. I got questions. And the disciples, they agree to go. Now, I do want to point out, and this isn't part of the message. This is just to give Thomas a shout out. But as that part of the narrative closes, like Thomas is the only one who makes a, a, a statement of faith. Anyone that shows courage in this moment. And I just, I want to throw him a bone because everybody knows him as Doubting Thomas, right? We know him as the one who said, hey, I'd like a little bit of proof as if we don't ask God for those things. But in this moment, as Jesus says, no, I'm glad I wasn't even there, but we are going to go that direction. It's Thomas who speaks up and he says, all right, we'll go with you and we'll all die together. Sounds a little bit like a brave heart moment for me. He's like, all right, fine, Jesus, you're like committed to going this course. All right, fellas, let's just all go die together. So at least I see Thomas through a lens of courageous faith here. And so it's against that backdrop that Jesus makes his way to Bethany, that he, he shows up. And if you read the rest of the narrative, you find that it's, it's four days. It's four days later. It's four days, I shouldn't say later, it's four days after Lazarus' death. If you remember Jesus, he just kind of hung out where he was for two days. If you're looking at the geography and you're unpacking this, scholars and theologians would say that it was shortly after the messengers were sent to Jesus that Lazarus would have died. When the message came to him, Lazarus would have already been dead. For Jesus to have hung out for two days and to have journeyed back for a day and found that Lazarus had been in the ground for four days already. You guys, math whizzes in the house, you guys can connect those dots. So what an interesting thing for Jesus to get the news of, hey, Lazarus is sick, for him to know that Lazarus was already dead, to make a declared statement that says this isn't going to end in death, and I'm glad that I'm not even there to do anything about it at this time, but they journey back, and that's the backdrop of when Jesus arrives, and there's three interactions here that I want to unpack that give us a picture of what it looks like to really understand resurrection life for today, and the first one is a conversation with Martha. She hears that Jesus is in the area and she goes to find him. It doesn't say that he sent word. There's nothing that says that he let anybody know that he was on his way. He had already tarried for a couple of days. And so now there's word and buzz that he's in the neighborhood and Martha goes to find him. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know how you read this. A lot of times we read this as if they're trying to give Jesus a guilt trip, and that's not actually what's happening. She's actually making a statement of faith. She's saying, if you would have been present in this moment of need, the story would have been different. She, she honestly and truthfully, she believed this. She knew that he healed the blind and that he healed the sick, that the lame walked. She, she would have known this. She would have trusted this. Jesus, if you would have been here, it would have been different. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she interprets this the same way that you and I interpret somebody telling us that our loved one or something that was lost, that, that they've gone to a better place. Or you know what, someday you'll see them again. She interprets it as that type of kind of 
platitude that's supposed to just kind of make it okay for a little bit. Just, just as a side note, if you've ever lost somebody really close to you, like that's not a helpful statement. And I'm just letting you know that so that you don't offer that as your words of wisdom to people. When you're sitting in your grief and in your brokenness, somebody telling you that, you know what, it doesn't really matter because someday it's going to be better, that's not, it's not helpful. It's not hopeful either because what it does is it says that you have to look forward to something later. Someday. And so she responds even with that type of an idea. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And it's against that statement that Jesus is correcting her understanding of who he is because he's not talking about tomorrow, he's talking about today. He's not talking about someday, he was talking about the moment that she was in with him right now. Regardless of what had already happened in the past and regardless of what could or should happen in the future, he draws her attention to right here, right now, I'm standing in front of you, I am the resurrection and the life. And resurrection life is for, listen to me, today, right now, this moment. When we began this service, whatever that thing that the Holy Spirit brought to your heart and your mind's attention of your need for Jesus to bring new life and resurrection, today, this is the day. He is the resurrection and the life right now, present in this moment and in that issue of your life. And that is what he offers. And so he corrects here because here's what she expresses. She expresses first a belief and a theology of missed opportunity. Jesus, if you were here earlier, then it could have been different. If you were here in that moment, in the way that I needed you or the way that I understood that need, if in that moment you were here, it would have been different because I believe and I have faith that you can and you would, if you were here in that moment, do that. But now that the moment is past, I think it's too late. And it's a belief and a theology of missed opportunity that it is too late for you to intervene. She would have known about the blind being given sight. She would have known about the lame people walking. She would have known about those who were crippled and infirmed being restored to physical health. She would have known about the little girl who passed away whose mom said, my daughter has just died and Jesus putting his hands on her and her life being restored. She would have known about the man who was being carried out of his home with a, a series of professional mourners and Jesus goes by and heals him. She would have known about those, but Jesus would have been present in those moments immediately in the need. And this was a whole different thing in her thought and in her mind. Lazarus wasn't recently deceased. He was dead and buried. It was over. He'd been prepared for burial. He'd been wrapped in the grave clothes. He had been set in the earth. The tomb had been sealed and he had been there for four days already. It's too late, Jesus. If you would have been here earlier, it would have been different, but now it's too late. And all I can look forward to is a distant hope, but there's no hope today. And many of us, many of us wrestle in our todays with that type of thinking. 
that if Jesus would have or could have done something earlier, it would be different, or if you would have or could have responded different in that time, that it would be different. And someday you know it's gonna be okay. Someday you know that things are gonna be restored. Someday you know that it's gonna be something where you enjoy the fullness and the promises of God. But for today, today it's too late and there's no hope. And Jesus corrects that. And if you're in a place where your present today is that struggle, you need to hear Jesus say very clearly, he is the resurrection and the life today, right now, in your moment of need. And yes, you have a distant and future hope. Absolutely. And certainly he could or should or may have done something different. But today is the day that he would speak those words to you. And like Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today is the day of salvation. Like it, today is the day. So it's against that backdrop that Jesus makes that statement and she has to respond to this question, do you believe this? And if you continue on through the narrative, it moves to another conversation. It moves from Martha to Mary. So the other sister makes her way finally to Jesus. And it says in verse 32 that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing that her sister did. Jesus, if you would have been here in that moment, oh man, I know the story would have been different. It's a faith-filled declaration. And it's, it's accurate, it's true. And she no more gets those words out than she begins to weep. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and in trouble. And the type of weeping that would have been demonstrated here would have been very demonstrative. It would have been very emotive. The way that you would go about mourning somebody who was lost is you would do it publicly and you would do it almost in a violent sense. People would hear your wailing. They would feel the depth of your hurt and your anguish. And in fact, in the culture, there was a whole, there was a whole group of what would be uh, understood as professional mourners. That in the culture and at the time, if, if you were going to have a, a, a wake or a funeral, you could actually hire professional mourners who would come and they would weep and wail and mourn and they would make it a more robust demonstration of your anguish. Like, I don't know if anybody is looking for a gig like that, but they had one of those, right? Oh man, you cry like nobody cries. Like, we have to have you. That's part of the, the backdrop of this. They're trying to come to terms with this loss. It's too late. The moment is past. Someday it could be different, but today it can't. And so as culturally as appropriate as it was, that's what they were doing. They were just trying to move on with their funeral to get on with their lives. And Jesus takes a moment, and this is so significant. It's often a, a passed over verse because it is the shortest verse in scripture. It's easy to just miss all together, but it's against that backdrop that Jesus asked the question, where have you laid him? Come and see, they reply. And then the shortest verse in all of scripture simply says that Jesus 
wept. And the word here is different. The word here is not the weep that is used of Mary. It's not the weep that's used of the professional mourners, the people who are just kind of making an emotive demonstration to somehow draw attention and to uh, culturally and appropriately lay their loved one to rest. This word is a different one. It has more depth. It's much more subdued. It's a quiet, deep, like sob of sorrow. And there's a lot of commentators who would look at this and they would say, well, Jesus wasn't really sad about Lazarus. He's going to raise him from the dead in just a couple verses. He knew what was happening. They would try to, they would try to paint a picture of Jesus' sorrow being that, that this group didn't understand who he was that he was really sorrowed that, that people were missing the invitation to be invited to participate in the things of the kingdom of God and to recognize what that was. And there may be some nuance to that, but to arrive at that conclusion, you have to strip Jesus of his humanity and you have to somehow take the idea of sorrow and relegate it to somehow a, a sinful demonstration. It's simply not the case. Several occasions in the Old Testament, it talks about the heart of God being grieved, particularly by sin and man's rebellion and the way that brokenness has been something that has infected his beautiful and perfect creation because of the effects of sin. The New Testament warns us to not live our lives in a way that would grieve the Holy Spirit, to not once we're made alive in Christ to go live as if that truth isn't there to have the Holy Spirit lament the waywardness of the way that we have decided to live. And in this, you see Jesus, you see Jesus weep. And he pauses and he takes the time to do that. And if you don't strip him of his humanity, you recognize, you recognize the way that death grieves the heart of God. And in just a moment, he's going to call Lazarus out of the grave. In just a moment, they're going to see like a miracle of miracles. Like they hadn't seen a whole bunch of them already. Like this is going to be over the top in just a moment. But Jesus takes time to grieve. And here's kind of the second thought. Resurrection life, listen to me, it does not replace sorrow. Jesus would remind his disciples later that in this life that they were going to have a lot of troubles but to take heart, to be encouraged, to have their souls buttressed up by this truth that he has overcome the world. And in this narrative where resurrection life is going to be put on display, he takes time to grieve because it doesn't replace sorrow, it informs it. The things that you have endured that have tr brought trauma to your heart and to your mind and to your soul, those are very real. The losses that you have endured, the close friends and family that you have buried, those are very real, and very appropriate things for you to have sorrow for. Looking back on places in your life where you have deep regret, 
where you entertain the idea of, man, if I would have, man, if I would have said yes to Jesus earlier, or if I would have said no to that invitation, if I would have guarded my heart or my steps or my mouth in a different way, I wouldn't be living out the collateral damage that is present today. Those are very real points of sorrow in your life. And they're real and appropriate to receive, to feel, and to process, but you are invited to do that with Jesus. And it changes from an, an emotive, demonstrative type of weeping to an authentic, real, deep sob of the soul that leads to walking out resurrection life. I've got a pastor friend of mine who has helped people process those types of sorrows. And in scripture, he, he, he helped me understand a couple buckets of the way that sorrow is understood. And this may be just something that would be helpful for you today. But there's really, there's two types of sorrow that are talked about in scripture. And one would be what we would just call grief. And we kind of lump all of that icky sorrow feeling into that bucket and that causes us some problems in our processing at times. Grief is a sorrow for something that was lost. So when you have a loved one or a close friend and it's lost, grief comes with that. Maybe an opportunity, maybe a dream maybe a desire for ministry, and it's lost. Grief comes with that, and those are very real, and you have to process those with the Lord. But there's another thing in Scripture that's referred to as lament. There's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations that one of the prophets wrote at the fall of Jerusalem. His name was Jeremiah, and lament is different. It's a different type of sorrow. It's not sorrow for something that is lost, but it is understood as kind of a sorrow for what will never be. Or a sorrow for what is not the way that it was supposed to be. And when you think about that, and the places in your life where you have had grief and trauma and challenge, like you can, you can feel those things. At the death of a loved one where you grieve the loss of their personhood and the experience and that they're there and then there's this lament that we won't have one more or they won't be here for that significant event like that's not the way it was supposed to be then it doesn't even have to be the loss of life we can have traumatic experiences in our life that bring us to a place where we would we would look at somebody and say this is not the way my life was supposed to be this wasn't the way that my story was supposed to be written that wasn't supposed to be taken, and this wasn't supposed to be a part of it, and those are equal parts of sorrow, but they're very different, and Jesus would invite you to process those with him, and in the middle of that, to weep deeply with you, and then breathe these words, I am the resurrection and the life. To sit in that place, but to be encouraged by that truth. And we see that in this narrative, and then just shortly after that, man, shortly after that, everything changes. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And it's at this, uh, at this statement that everybody protests, particularly one of the sisters that says, this is not gonna be a pleasant experience for you. He has been in there for four days already. 
and the stone is rolled away and Jesus speaks. Verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. Resurrection life is for today and on into your tomorrows, but don't miss the opportunity to experience it today. Resurrection life does not replace our sorrows, but it informs the way that we walk through those. And then resurrection life, listen to me, it's lived out in community. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus calls Lazarus by name. He calls him out of the grave. He calls him into newness of life. But then he looks at the community that was gathered and says, you take off the grave clothes. Jesus didn't unwrap him. Jesus didn't take the linen off. Jesus didn't step into that role and to do that. He was restored into life and living community by those who were there at Jesus' instruction. And sometimes we are invited to experience resurrection life in Christ, but we push ourselves into isolation from the community of believers. And for you to walk it out day by day, for you to experience it in a growing fashion, it is gonna be require the body of believers around you, the church to be around you. Don't miss the invitation there. Jesus calls us by name. He calls us out of death. He calls us into life, but he calls us to walk it out in a community with one another. That's why you are so important for the person sitting next to you. That's why scripture tells us to encourage one another daily and to bear one another's burdens. Why Paul uses the metaphor of the body of Christ, that each part is needed and necessary and important. So much so to think of a part being missing would conjure up the idea of disfigurement. We are invited to experience life in that way. And so go back to the moment as we began this morning, go back to that invitation for the Holy Spirit to draw to your attention. Where do you need resurrection this morning? Where do you need new life in Christ this morning. The invitation for you is for you to experience that today, not just someday and not just to grieve or to have sorrow for what was missed, but to respond today. The invitation is for you to, to say yes to that today and then to walk in a community that helps you walk that out. And ultimately, Jesus' design for you and I is the John 10.10 10 verse that we looked at the last couple of weeks, where we're reminded that he has come, that you and I would have real and eternal life, better life than we had ever dreamed of, now and forevermore. He is the resurrection and the life. Don't miss that moment this morning. Church family, I want to invite you to stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to entertain just a few questions for us to consider this morning and allow the Lord to search our hearts. And as the worship team makes their way forward, I'm going to invite you to just kind of maybe close your eyes as a way of closing out distractions. It's certainly not necessary, but sometimes it is helpful. And I would encourage you to, encourage, uh, to, to entertain or to consider these few questions in the next couple of moments. And the first question is this, in what place 
what place in your life have you already concluded that it's too late for Jesus to make a difference? What, what place in your life have you already concluded that it's, it's too late for Jesus to make a difference? You're too broken. Your regret is too great. The moment is lost. You're too young. You're too old. Where are you entertaining a belief of missed opportunity? Don't, don't miss the opportunity today. He is the resurrection and the life. Another question to consider is where, where in your life have you resigned to live without hope? To live without hope. Where you're living out kind of a present if only. If only I had dot, dot, dot. If only they had or hadn't dot, dot, dot. If only Jesus had, would have. He's the resurrection and the life today. Today. Last question for us to consider this morning is where have you retreated to attempt to live out new life in Christ apart from the community of believers? Where if you were Lazarus in, in this story, instead of being restored into wholeness in the community, instead of having those come around you who would unwrap you and gently restore you to living out what it looks like to have new life, that you have retreated to the shadows somewhere and you are trying to unravel yourself. You're trying to make yourself okay or make yourself all right, that you're looking to unwrap your own grave clothes. to free yourself or make yourself more presentable before you allow others to come and be part of your story. Lord, we find ourselves in these places frequently. Where the, the deep need of our experience, maybe even the sorrow in the moment makes us feel as if it's too late that we missed the opportunity. It leaves us with an if only type of mentality where we consider things to only be able to be different if they had been different before. But Jesus, you would stand before us today and you would declare that you are the resurrection and the life. You don't just bring resurrection, you don't just offer life, you are that. You are here and you are present and you extend that invitation. So Lord, give us a belief that goes beyond, that goes beyond missed opportunity, that goes beyond feeling as if hope is always over the horizon but never in the present day. Lord, bring us to you. And may we respond with a yes. Your invitation to Martha, after you made that declaration that you are the resurrection and the life, you simply asked, 
do you believe this? And Lord, we would answer today. And we would answer with yes. In this moment, right now, as you ask us, Jesus, we say yes. And we invite you to demonstrate in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got a few action steps for you to consider this week as you would look to apply some of the things that we talked about this morning. First is I want to invite you to read John chapter 11 so you can read that narrative for yourself. It'll have the death and the resurrection of Lazarus and some more details that we didn't get to cover this morning. Number two, I want to encourage you to begin to acknowledge Jesus as the one who gives true and lasting life. And at that acknowledgement, begin to invite him to bring that life into your areas of need this week. God bless you.